Well, this morning, it's been intriguing. Again, you don't know it. I'm the one that gets blessed all through worship team practice and all through um, all through worship team practice, all through the, the, the announcements, all through all of the stuff that's going on. And then it comes time for the sermon. And you don't know what my heart has been going through for the last six days, but everything, everything, everything has been focused on the glory of God, the joy that we receive as a result of the glory of God, and this whole story about the angels appearing to the shepherd. And as I was as I was looking at on Wednesday night and again this morning for our worship team practice, looking at the words of the songs that were picked, I didn't pick those songs. Those were chosen by um, our worship team folks. Craig specifically picks them, but then others put in their comments. And the words were just perfect for what I feel like God is saying to us this morning. Um, this whole this whole process has been focusing on God and what do you want, God, and how do you want to have us present this, God, and what is it that you want, God? And every single day when I do my, my devotions, I well, not every day when I do my devotions, but many times when I do my devotions, I also journal. And when I journal, regardless of whether it's a couple sentences or a couple pages in length, I always end my entry in my journal with three Latin words. Soli Deo Gloria. What the, those Latin, that Latin phrase means, Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. To God alone be the glory. And early in the week, when I was asking God, what do you want said about this particular Sunday? Because this is Joy Sunday. Quite frankly, as a preacher, I hate trying to come up with a sermon about joy. It's not easy, believe me. Because joy is such a nebulous thing. I've had people come up to me and say, I had, I've had a person in my life say, I've known the Lord almost all my life, but I can never tell you a single day that I've ever experienced joy. That's not my experience. That's their experience. My experience is that joy wells up within me when I, when I reflect on my relationship with God. So I cannot explain to you how some Christians can say they don't ever feel joy and others say they do feel joy. I can tell you that uh, that the definitions and, and the, the, the people who write about these things have said that joy is not a feeling. I mean, excuse me, not an emotion. It's a feeling. Okay? And there's a difference. An emotion is affected by things. Emotions can be affected by being sick. Emotions can be affected by stress. Emotions can be affected by, uh, by, 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 by being hurt. But this sense of who you are wells up beyond and without any connection to your circumstances. And so joy can be experienced even in the midst of great pain. Joy can be experienced even in the midst of horror. How? I don't know. But I know that it can be. Now, we're going to look a little bit about what joy is and how we get joy. But the way we're going to do this is we're going to look at this story that we talked about at the very beginning of the service and that I read just a few moments ago 
about the shepherds and the angels in the field watching over their flocks by night. There is a specific verse in, in Luke chapter 2. It's Luke chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. Specifically 10, but I also keep going back to 9 all week long. So let's just read those two verses. Luke chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, who were them, the shepherds. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. So this idea of joy is connected to this event where these angelic beings came and intersected with humans on the night that Christ was born. And the, the word of God tells us that this angel comes and stands before these shepherds in the middle of this dark, starlit field. And it says, the glory of the Lord shone around them. Now, look at this. The angel has not yet been joined by the heavenly host. This is simply one angel standing in the presence of the shepherds. I don't know if the angel was standing on the ground. I don't know if the angel was floating in the air. And I really don't care. The word of God doesn't tell us that. But what the word of God says is this single angel appeared to the shepherds. In my mind, that doesn't mean that the angel walked from Bethlehem out to the field. That means the angels are sitting, I mean, the shepherds are sitting there talking and visiting and it's quiet. And the sheep are all laying there asleep and the guys are probably just resting after a long day. And the heat of the day has finally dissipated and it's cool now at night. And all of a sudden, boom, an angel appears. That's the way I read this. I would get a little bit upset because I don't normally have things just poof appear in front of me. And the response that we read is they were filled with great fear. And then the angel said to them, hey, guys, don't be afraid. I got this great news I'm about to tell you. And it's going to be so joyful for you when you hear about it. It's amazing news. But their response was not joy when they were approached by this angel. Their response was horror and terror. Now, one of the things I left out in this, just a sec, as I've been relating this to you, it says, the angel of the Lord appeared to them and they were filled with great fear. But in between the angel appearing and their being filled with great fear, there's this phrase. And if you have your Bibles, look at it. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. Now, there's a picture on the screen. And it is some artist's rendition of these shepherds 
out in the field. It looks like they've got a little canopy shelter kind of thing set up. And there's this glowing, bright angel standing there in front of them. That's how I've always pictured it. That's how I've always pictured it. But as I have looked this week and reflected, that's not what the Word of God says. The Word of God does not say there's this shiny being flashing in front of them, glowing and making... Something happens that they're afraid of him. So maybe it was the fact that he suddenly appeared out of nothing. Or maybe it was that he was pretty grotesque. Because if you read some of the stories about Seraphim, they're pretty spooky looking. Or it may be that this... This huge, massive, beefy angel shows up, boom, and scares the daylights out of him. Because, I mean, if you've been sitting there quietly, and all of a sudden, hey, how's it going? Ah! What? But the word of God says, the glory of the Lord shone around them. It wasn't just the angel, because the other angels haven't shown up yet. So there's something about this glory shining around them and they are afraid. So I have looked and reflected and studied and read and meditated on what is this glory? Because in my mind, I think it was the glory that they freaked out over. I don't think it was the angel appearing in front of them. Yeah, they were probably startled. But it says, great fear, does it not? Great fear. To me, there was something dramatic that caused them to freak out. (sighs) They probably wet themselves. They were that scared. Believe me, I know what that feels like. I was 10 years old. I mean, I was 8 years old, excuse me. I was babysat. And I jokingly said to our babysitter as she was sitting in our living room uh, telling us ghost stories. And I said, wouldn't it be scary if somebody looked in the window just a few minutes from now and scared us? Well, we were in a house that had a full basement. And so all of the ground floor windows were up about 9 feet or so off the ground. There was no way a normal human being could stand on the ground and look in the window. And in the middle of her telling us a ghost story, I looked over and there was a face with a full head of hair and a beard and glasses looking in the window. And I stood up and screamed and urinated all over myself. That's the kind of fear. Now, as it ended up, it was her brother on his friend's shoulder trying to scare his sister while she was babysitting. But I literally stood up and freaked and lost control of my bodily functions. Another time in my life, I'm walking, my mom, my dad, my six brothers and sisters and I, we are camping and my father and I go out for a walk along a railroad track. And as we're going along this railroad track, All of a sudden, a snake, probably about two and a half to three feet long, black and about an inch and a half to two inches in diameter, slithered across our path. I remember seeing the snake 
And the next thing I remember, my dad was grabbing my arm and trying to stop me. I was about 30 or 40 feet away from where we had been. I have no recollection of what happened that caused me to get from where I saw the snake to where my dad stopped me. I also happen to know that my dad came to his senses just a second or two before me, and that's why he was where I needed, where he needed to be to grab me. Because it wasn't like I went running and he's yelling, come back! We both turned and ran. <laughs> but then he came to his senses and grabbed me and said, Bob, Bob, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. <sighs> that's how I understand great fear. You go crazy, you lose all sense of consciousness, you possibly lose even control over your body. And that's what I see happening here with these shepherds. But I don't see it in my, in my reading, and I, I'm, this is Bob Sugden's interpretation, I'm just telling you. I don't see it because of the angel, I see it because of the glory. What is this glory? Now, um, I'm going to sit down for a second because I just want to talk with y'all. There's a word that I looked up because I've heard it many, many times over the last 40 years of being a Christian, but I didn't really know what it meant. Some of you may have already heard it before. It's called Shekinah. Anybody familiar with that phrase? Shekinah glory. Did you know it's not in the Bible? We Christians, we're so good about uh, making stuff up. There's no such thing as Shekinah in the Bible. It's an ancient rabbinical teaching, extra biblical, has nothing to do with the Bible. It's a way that these rabbis used to try to explain what it meant to have the presence of God. It means more of an intimate presence of God than it does this nebulous presence of God. Um, one of the writers that I read said, if you want to, you could probably say Jesus himself was the Shekinah of the glory of God because it was the presence of God manifest in a physical body. So if there was indeed a biblical example of Shekinah, this imminent, intimate presence of God, then that would be Jesus. But of course, Jewish rabbis don't believe in Jesus as the Messiah. Therefore, they would never tell you that the Shekinah of God was Jesus. But it means it's a, a very imminent or very close presence of God. So what is this glory of God if it's not the Shekinah glory of God? This glory of God, if you read it in the original Hebrew, the word is kavod, K-A-V-O-D, or K-A-B-O-D, depending on who you're talking to. Kavod. And it means this glory. <laughs> I know there's no other way to say it. So what is it? I mean, how does it work? What does it look like? How do I experience it? Because see, honestly, there's times in my life where I said, Oh God, make your presence known to me. Oh God, let me sense and feel your presence like they were in the Old, De in the Old Testament. And let me read to you some of the verses that deal with this kavod of God. Exodus chapter 16, verse 10. This is Exodus chapter 16, verse 10. As soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, 
They looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And what this is talking about, this is the time when they were asking God, asking Moses, how are we going to be fed? How are we going to eat? And God's glory appeared in the cloud and said to Moses, you tell the people that I've heard their prayer and I will provide to them bread and meat. There will be bread coming in the form of manna and I will bring quail into the the, uh, the camp so they will have bread and meat to eat. And it's this 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 glory of God, this kavod, that appears in the form of a cloud. Then, if you look in Exodus chapter 24, verse 17, it says, Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain, in the sight of the people of Israel. And Moses entered the cloud and went on up, went up onto the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain forty days and forty nights. This is the time where Moses goes up to Mount Sinai and he goes into the presence of God, and this is where God gives him all the instructions about the Mosaic Law. But the, the manifestation of the glory of God was like a consuming fire. So We have the glory of God as this cloud. We have the glory of God as this consuming fire. If you go to Exodus chapter 40, verses 34 and 35, there's the last verses of the the book of Exodus. It is when the tabernacle has been erected. It is when the people of Israel have followed all all of the instructions that God has given, and they have now assembled the tabernacle and they have be, they have blessed it and gotten it ready for God for, for the use of honoring God and it says in verse 34 of chapter 40 then the cloud again this cloud which represented the presence of God covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle And it says in verse 35, And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. There was something about the presence of God so filling the tabernacle that Moses himself, who was allowed to go into the presence of God, could not enter. If you go into Numbers, chapter 14, verse 21. Well, before we do that, there's one other, and I don't have the reference, but God has brought it to mind. There's a time when Moses says to God, let me see your face. Let me see your face, please. And God said, no one may see my face and live. But God put Moses into the cleft of the rock And as God passed by, he covered Moses with his hand. And it said God allowed Moses to see God's back and the glory of God. But he could not see God's face. And I'm sorry I didn't have that reference written down. Now Numbers chapter 14 verse 21. Numbers chapter 14 verse 21. But truly... 
Well, let me, let me, let me back it up just to give you an understanding of what's going on. Uh, Joshua, Caleb, and the ten other spies have been sent into the land of Israel to spy out the land so that the nation of Israel can go in and take possession of the land after their wilderness travel. And it says that they come back and they give a bad report. And the people rebel against God. We can't do it! We can't do it! And God gets angry and says, I'm just going to knock them all dead. I'm going to make up a new nation out of you, Moses. And Moses says, no, God, please don't do that. You'll bring disdain on your name. Please, please, please. And then God then relents and says, okay, I have pardoned according to your word. But listen to what he says. I have pardoned according to your word. But truly, as I live, this is God speaking. And as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice, none of them shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. So we always focus on this. None of them will get what they were promised and they're going to die in the desert. But what did God say here? As truly as I live... And as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. I cannot tell you if I've ever heard a teaching on the whole earth being filled with the glory of the Lord. Because as as I'm reading in the scriptures, and some of the verses I've already given to you, when God's glory is present, work stops. People can't go in. We're going to look at just a second one more time in Second Chronicles chapter 7 when exactly the same thing happens. They've now built the temple. Solomon has built the temple. And Solomon goes in to anoint and, and, and dedicate the temple. And as Solomon finishes his prayer, it says in chapter 7 of Second Chronicles, as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple, and the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When the Lord, when all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And so there's this sense that when the glory of God manifests, all of earth has to stop. They can't continue with normal daily life. They can't even continue with worship. They stop. They fall on their face. In the, in the case of the shepherds, they were struck with great fear. Because they weren't even focusing on God, most likely at that point. God just decided to intersect their life. Now, there's one other part that I wanted to share with you before I get into the the wrap up and that's this this is all Old Testament stuff the glory of God coming and people filling the glory filling the tabernacle or filling the temple or even filling the whole earth and people can't do anything because of the presence of God and it's just awesome and awestruck but what does that mean in the New Testament era 
And the Lord clearly pointed to Acts chapter 2. In in Acts chapter 2, the presence of God was manifest in the form of fire. And what the Lord whispered to me was, that fire was my glory entering into the tabernacle or the temple that I now inhabit. And that is the tabernacle or or temple of the very bodies of my people, my children. Where God manifested God's glory in a physical space before. When Christ came, and this is where the kind of blending of that Shekinah thing came into this study, was when Christ came, he was able to show us what it looks like for a human being to have the very spirit of God physically embodying a human body. And then we were called into right relationship with God through the blood of Christ. And the Holy Spirit of God entered the believers. And in that first time, it was manifest in the form of fire. Which if we go back to Exodus, how did God manifest himself? Through cloud. His glory was manifest as a cloud and as fire. And so here we have this mighty rushing wind, the Ruach, the breath of God, coming in and coming on each individual Believer in that room, 120 plus, and a light of fire, a flame above each one of them, representing this infilling with the glory of God, the presence of God. And it was amazing. And it says that they just sat and worshipped. All they did was worship. And in the, in, in the, in, in, Acts, it talks about having other tongues, which was done as a as a, a, a manifestation for the world to see this thing that has happened. So that people would say, what in the world are these people doing drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning? And Peter could stand up and say, you don't understand. These people aren't drunk. If they're drunk on anything, they're drunk on the Holy Spirit. That's what they're drunk on. So, what does all of that have to do with this idea of joy and glory and angels and Christmas? And what I, what I sense the Lord wanted me to understand and what I'm supposed to share with you guys is this. The good news of Christmas, the great, the good tidings of great joy, that which manifests joy from within us, is that you can have right relationship with God because Jesus, the Son of God, the only begotten, came down from heaven, emptied himself of his glory, and became a human being, and then willingly died, and then was risen again, and now sits at the right hand of the Father, and at some point will come to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom shall have no end. That's the great news, which brings great joy, which is for all people. And it happened that that news came in the presence of the glory of God, surrounding all of them. And then God said, now back it up, God said to Moses, 
as tr- I've, I've pardoned them. I'm not going to kill them, but they're not going to go into the to the Holy Land. And you know, I'm going to swear by me and by the fact that my glory is going to fill the earth. And I was like, how in the world does my glory, His glory, fill the earth? And then I was I was reading. Um, I mean, then I was thinking about it, and the Lord whispered to me, my glory is now present with my people, and my people are all over the earth. Now, I want to say, again, this is, this is me. I cannot point to this in scripture. I cannot tell you that this is a theological teaching. I am one who loves to have signs and symbols. This is just how it works for me. I am one who likes mystical stuff. It's just, it, it just speaks to me. And so when I pray, I always, I always have imagined, oh God, just like you did for Moses in the tabernacle, just like you did for Solomon in the new temple, would you please fill this place with your glory such that we can't even move? And what I heard God whispering to me this week was, God, Bob, those, those days have no longer have any purpose anymore. Now my presence is with you. And yes, there will come times when my presence is so great and my glory is so powerfully strong in your presence, in your midst that you will not be able to do anything but just worship me. You will be stopped in your tracks. But that doesn't mean because you can't put up a, see me or see this cloud or this fire that's present. That, that doesn't mean that I'm not real and just as real. It's just that I am relating to the world differently now. And I was like, okay, I can accept that. It makes me sad. <laughs> but the reality is, how many times in Scripture did that manifestation of the glory of God happen? It didn't happen every day. It didn't happen all the time. It was kind of like a once-in-a-lifetime experience kind of thing. But I can have the presence of the Almighty with me every day, all day long, 24-7. And I, I truly think that being stopped in my tracks in great awe and, and fear, if you will, is not because the glory of God has been diminished, but because my attention has been diminished. I truly think that if I were to be intentional about spending the time every day, all day long, focused on God, that there would be many more times in my daily walk where I would be overwhelmed by the presence of God. One of the images that was brought to my mind was this image of being slain in the spirit. Some of you have heard of this, some of you have seen it. I've read about it um, even in John Wesley's writings where the power of God was so manifest in somebody's life that all they could do was lay and lay. There was one, if you read in John Wesley, I think it's in his journals, they talk about one time where Wesley was preaching and this man just fell back into the pew and they literally carried him to the house next door and laid him on a bed and for 48 hours he just laid there. And every so often he'd go, oh, glory to God. So he wasn't dead. And he wasn't unconscious. He just wasn't, he was totally him and God. Him and God, and that was it. And like, 
my wife said the other day, she was reminded by a friend that said that he wanted to have such a close relationship with God that God would sometimes have to say, could you scoot over a little bit? I need some room. That's the kind of relationship I want to have with God. One where I experience his glory. I experience his manifestation. I experience intimacy with him. And here's where the thing about joy comes in. As I was studying all of this and doing my word searches, the Lord reminded me, joy is one of the fruit of the Spirit. When I have the presence of God indwelling in me, I have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, Self-control and faithfulness, is that it? Did I do them all? All eight of them? I don't remember. I can never do it off from memory. But God said to me, joy is not something you manifest, Bob. Joy is something you experience. Joy is something you receive. It is because of my glory being present with you. It is because my Holy Spirit is with you. And that's brought about because of the good news of Christmas. When you received Christ, you received me in my fullness. And as a result, my glory is present with you. And as a result, you have the fruit of the Spirit, which will grow in you. And joy is one of them. And these were the last words I wanted to read to us before we go to our communion. The book of Jude, the last two verses says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. We're going to have a time of communion. But before we do, let's pray.